0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. Since uh, I moved here in March of 2017, we have had a village, some of you may think of different words, uh, uh, of going through large portions of the Bible. Uh, Here at our church, since we've been here, even before I got here, our church has always been dedicated to taking apart Scripture, seeing what God has to say to us from it. Since my arrival, Jared and I worked through some various passages that we thought we should teach, and we taught some pretty weird ones. Uh, We went through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it was so difficult and strange that we had to take a break for a pandemic. We walked through the book of Haggai. We spent time in the book of Malachi earlier this year. We worked through Jonah. We've also covered lots of the hits, the popular, popular, the Taylor Swift books of the Bible. We've gone through the book of James and Colossians and Philippians. We walked as a church through the Sermon on the Mount. We went through Romans chapter 8. I say all of that to say, I've got to make a confession to you this morning. I'm in a text today, and as I shared with Jared earlier, it's the second time in my life that I've ever preached through this text. And and here's why. In the fall of 2000, I preached at First Baptist Church of Alvarado, Texas. They'd give me permission to record this sermon, and I chose to preach this passage, the second passage I'd ever preached in front of a group of people. And it was so, so bad that I have avoided it holistically ever since. So, bear with me and give me a a tad bit of grace. If that's not your thing, you're in the wrong building. As we work through Mark chapter 2, picking up in verse 1, let me read this text to you if you're unfamiliar with where we are in Mark. Jesus has been doing Jesus' things. He has been acting. He has been dealing with sick people. Jesus has been... uh, He baptized by John. Jesus has gone through many of the things that we're familiar with with the early days of his ministry. And in Mark chapter 2, we pick up in verse 1, when he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that Jesus was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no room, no more room, not even in the doorway And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And after digging through it they lowered the mat on the floor on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith. Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Well, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can ever forgive sins but God alone? Now, right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and walk. Go home. Immediately he got up. He took the mat and he went out. In front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This story is the story of the gospel in micro. If you are unfamiliar with the gospel of Jesus, it is full of him teaching, it is full of him healing, it is full of him being condemned for blasphemy, and it is full of him being vindicated. Him being victorious at the end. And here in this story, we have Jesus in the house teaching. We have Jesus who will eventually heal. He is then condemned by the Pharisees, and at the end, he is vindicated. And our big idea for this text today that I don't want any of us to miss is if this Jesus that we believe in can forgive sin, then this Jesus can do absolutely anything. If Jesus can forgive sin, he can do anything. Now again, verse 1, he entered Capernaum again after some days, and it was reported that he was home. At this moment, we may say to ourselves, problematic. I've been told my entire life he did not have anywhere to lay his head. I've tried to order, send him a pillow. Why in the world would this passage say this? We're not sure. You can read lots of arguments about it. But one thing that we, do, that we do know and we kind of work through is when you have the gospel of Mark that we're working through this, in this portion of text, you have the gospel of Mark, but it's really the gospel of Jesus according to Mark. But it's not even really that. It's the gospel of Jesus according to Mark, more than likely told to him by Peter. Peter, Simon Peter. In chapter 1 of the book, we we see where Jesus is in the home of Simon and he heals the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. She gets up, she cares for them, she fixes them something to eat. So many believe that Jesus, who has been doing very huge Jesus things in chapter 1, has returned to the home of Simon. He has healed the leper. He's walked back into this house. And as he gets in this house, he cannot avoid the crowd. Jesus is a celebrity, and we are just getting started in Mark. Everyone wants to be around this Jesus. I'm not sure as to your celebrity encounters. My Probably the most influential one in my life t- took place. I was at a general nutrition center, to which you may say, why were you there? I was getting something called throat coat, because I have uh, throat problems as a preacher. What singers use it, too? And I heard all of these whispers, and everyone kept flocking by this general nutrition center. And I was just looking around, looking for my throat coat, trying to find my teeth to warm my throat. But everyone's standing in front, because there is a man who's around five foot eleven, who's about this broad, now in the shoulders. I am also 5'11", and this broad, just lower. They are staring in, and right there in front of me stood the 16-time heavyweight champion of the world, John Cena. You may say, but John Cena says you can't see me. I did. I saw him right there. I scooted close to John. I said, what's up, John? He said, hey, man. <laughs> Celebrity. In this passage, Jesus is so famous, so well-known. They have crowded in. They want to hear him preach. They want to hear him teach. They want to hear him say things. They want to possibly see him heal. But it's all centered in his word. They were gathered together and he was speaking the word according to verse 2. The word of Jesus is central to this text. Jesus teaching these people from the word. It matters. Jesus, the word, speaking the word. If anyone is going to say the word of Jesus, it is the word of God, it is Jesus and he is there. A friend of mine was leading worship in Birmingham once. And it's a video that you're probably familiar with where John Piper expresses his heavy emotions toward the prosperity gospel. My friend Chuck was leading worship. John Piper's in town. The room was crowded. The fire marshals were there. They told him they could not do that. They just kept going. In this passage, Jesus is there and he is teaching. The room is packed. There's nowhere to go. You can't get in the door. He's speaking the word to them. Some men came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Now, if you are unfamiliar as to what we just explained, They are carrying a man who is on a stretcher in front of the men who are carrying their friend. They see this crowd. You cannot get in the door. You cannot get in the back door if there happened to be a back door. There was no way for them to get to Jesus. And at this point, they may say to themselves, well, let's just stop right here. Is that what we'd say? Let's just turn around and go home. I mean, this is a a problem They begin to lean in to the people who are crowded at the door. He's paralyzed, as you can see from the mat that he's on. We would like for him to interact with Jesus. Tough. I'm trying to listen to him talk. He may do something cool. People are so gracious and kind. They're not letting him through. They're not letting them through. They were unable to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. It's so full. So they removed the roof. They didn't raise it, they removed it. I don't think that we think enough about the kerfuffle this would cause. If someone were to come through the roof right now, Do you think you could have a conversation in life group later today? How are Christ's life groups going to work? How are they ever going to go on their mission projects? They'll never hear the announcements. No matter how many times we print them and email them and send them to you, that's me processing. They are going to miss everything. I was preaching in Chattanooga once and... I looked and everyone kept lifting their feet. I didn't know if they were doing crunches. They weren't a very fit crowd. There were two mice running around the room. Jesus is preaching and they start hearing someone come through the roof. They're digging through the roof. They're removing tiles from the roof. They're pulling things from the roof. If you're there in the crowd, there are crumbling items falling on your head because these men believe that this Jesus was that important. When we moved to Lake Jackson... One of our members said to me, this town is full of engineers. If you ever need anything fixed, figured out, or built, they can more than likely figure that out for you. However, if they build it, it may be so ugly you don't want it. Let's think through if these are engineers who have... Attempted to bring their friend to Jesus. They show up, the crowd's all there. Let's chat about the crowd. As they're talking about the crowd, we need to get him somewhere. There's the roof. Why don't we go to the roof? We can get him to the roof. These engineers evaluate the situation. They come up with a few plans. They bring in some operators to to implement said plan. The, The operators tell them that won't work. They have this weird back and forth. They go back and forth between one another. Eventually they get to the place where they're going to get this man to the roof. When they get him to the roof, they look at the roof. They begin to strategically plan how they're going to get him there. Let's dig through this. All of it falling on people's heads. Everyone overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus is still trying to preach. Houses normally have this outside ladder. These steps, according to history. And I have researched more about first century homes this week than I planned. There's a flat roof made of packed clay over wooden beams. Everyone hears them, Jesus hears them. And Jesus is all about their commitment. God loves commitment. He loves when we respond to the covenant commitment He has made to us. So these men are digging through this roof. And Jesus says in verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. These four engineers in their fishing shirts, they don't know what to do with Jesus' conversation. One of them looks at the other. They are puzzled. Their eyes make eye contact with one another because that's what eyes do, make eye contact. Otherwise, it would be called another type of contact. As they're interacting with one another in this situation, why is he forgiving his sin? What about his legs? Did we come here for his sins to be forgiven? This is a unique situation in the Bible because, in the rest of Scripture, anytime someone comes to Jesus, he meets the need that they bring to him. Yet, right here, they show up, and when they show up to interact with Jesus, they are not showing up for the man's sins to be forgiven. You know that, I know that. As they are dragging their paralyzed friend to Jesus, they have one goal, one goal in mind, and that is for him to stand up and walk. Because after all, this Jesus has been making people walk. I would like to see Him... Did you hear about the leper? He's not a leper anymore. His wounds are gone. He can feel things. We want Him to walk. I want Him to do... What's He even talking about? Because no one's supposed to forgive anyone's sins. They were here for a miracle. A mat replaced by a miracle. Philip Yancey says this, I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Trusting what God will do, even though I don't get to see it, We live in a world as a whole where people, if there, if there is a belief in God, they believe that He is far away, that our God is distant and that He is uncaring. Why would He allow pain? Why would He allow suffering? Why would He allow struggle? We, as those who follow Jesus, if we are people who actually follow Jesus, we know that is untrue. And for us, we cannot be satisfied with their disconnection from him. Because we believe that our God is good and loving and we believe that our God forgives sins. Let's not distance ourselves from real life struggles because we don't have answers. Because you're not the one who's supposed to have the answer. You know the one who is. Not just the one who does know the answer, you know the one who actually is that. And your presence matters. And you being able to say to someone from time to time, I I don't know the answer, it matters. But you knowing Jesus matters. And you being Jesus present in their lives, it matters. So what if rather than us distancing ourselves from difficulty, we clawed through roofs and and we had hard conversations and we listened so Jesus does not get dismissed by this person? We are in a community that is far from Jesus. Because we are in a world that is far from Jesus. We are no closer to Jesus in Lake Jackson than we are in Las Vegas or Atlantic City or wherever you want to imagine in the Middle East. The idea of being far from Jesus, it is here. There is a bog, a fog of people who do not know Jesus yet we are confused by what is called cultural Christianity where we would allow people to say they know Jesus and have no idea as to who he is. We repeat The same trite answers. Jesus is there, digging through the roof. In my head, I think he's laughing. I would laugh if someone came through the roof. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why didn't they tell him? Why didn't Jesus tell these men? Hey, leave this roof alone. Drag this man to the temple. Let him meet with the priest. I mean, that's the job of the priest. If this man needs someone to forgive his sins, don't bring him through the roof. Bring him to the temple. The Old Testament teaches this about our God, that God and God alone forgive sins. And this Jesus is daring to negatively impact the honor of God with this really weird abstract phrase. Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were, what they were thinking like this and within themselves and said, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? They ask the question, who can forgive sins but God and God alone? And in my head, I believe, I really, Jesus, exactly. Exactly. If sins are going to be forgiven, it's through me. Mark's readers, they already know the situation, though. We've actually been told in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 why he's coming. As it's written in Isaiah, the prophet, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. This is Messiah in the midst. Nine. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Go and take up your mat and Walk. We have a dog at our house. His name's Gus. Certain people in our house didn't want a dog. He was outvoted. And Gus so if you're unfamiliar with my family, like our kid, my older two boys are out of town. On a tournament. We don't we rarely let them leave and be gone, on, but they're in a tournament this weekend and they're playing water polo or whatever that is. And, and while they're playing water polo, that means that I'm at home with the two smaller children because there's so many people at my house and this dog, Gus. And we were told, like the little two told me, hey, why don't we take the dog to the dog park because there's a dog park? Because why not build a dog park? So we take Gus to the dog park yesterday, and I'm watching because he doesn't really play with other dogs. Gus loves to do other things like chase butterflies and hornets, any type of flying insect he can find because they tell me he's a bird dog, but he's never even found a bird except the chicken in our oven. (laughs) Now, make no mistake about it, he's playing. He's just not playing the way that everyone thinks that he should play. In Mark's gospel, Jesus forgives sins and he heals lepers, and the Pharisees complain, all the while overlooking the fact that he is what they've been waiting for. He is messiahing, if I can make that a verb, and I did, just not in the way they expect him to messiah. They've expected him to show up, they've expected him to show out, they've expected him to build an army, and Jesus keeps telling crowds to go away, he keeps hiding from people. He keeps going through the process of healing little ladies and making sure that lepers, the the worst of the worst, are cared for. He keeps telling people that sins are forgiven. (coughs) Alistair Begg, one of my favorite pastors, he's got this cool Scottish accent. He says this, and I'm not going to try it. He says, either the New Testament is authoritative truth or it's the record of a lie. It's an amazing hoax, the best the world has ever encountered. There would not be one page of the New Testament written if not for the existence of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is doing messianic things, and they are missing it because they want him to do what they think a Messiah should do. How many of us, as followers of Jesus, are wanting Jesus to do things that we believe that a Messiah should do? If we could just reset this thing that we hate. If you could just undo these workers that drive me insane. If you could just do Jesus stuff, that would be great because I have a perception as to what Jesus should be and sometimes that's not exactly who he is. Verse 10 But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. The point of the miracles is not for him to do miracles. The point of the miracles is for us to know that we cannot. And right here, you have the Son of Man referenced for the first time, but it's a really popular phrase through Mark's Gospel, and it's referencing the book of Daniel. Because in Daniel chapter 7, we get a vision as to who this Messiah would be and what this Messiah would do and how this Messiah would be that and how this Messiah would do that. Where it says this, I continue watching to the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with a cloud of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. So those of every people, nation, and and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. That whole passage is about the idea of the Son of Man bringing judgment. However, there is a twist that comes when Jesus is referencing himself here because the way this works is that Jesus is not just talking about judgment. He's talking about the flip side of it, which is forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, yes, I do God things and I alone do God things because I am God in the flesh. Jesus forgives. Jesus meets us. Jesus, right where we are. Verse 12, immediately, there's our word straight away. Right then, he got up, he took the mat, and he went out in front of everyone. Now remember, I made a joke about the back door. There's no back door. There's just one way to get in until they made their way. Until they dropped this friend through a roof. He gets up and he goes out through the door that nobody would let him in. And everybody watches. They were all astounded and and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus tells a man who cannot walk to walk. Isaiah 35 prophesies as to what this Messiah will do, this Savior will do. It says this, that the lame shall leap like deer. Getting out of bed was really hard this morning. Because I'm 44 years old and you may think, man, Chad, that's so young. And I would tell you, you were lying to me. we have that extra hour of sleep that everyone lies about because we all stay up an extra hour I mean really that's why attendance is a little bit down today because there there was a time change attendance should be up with a time change when we get an extra hour getting out of bed I creaked and I popped and I grunted We've got those really dark curtains in our room, and I stumbled around. This guy didn't do that. Straightway, he got up. Right away, immediately, he got up. He jumped up. His sins had been forgiven. And Jesus right there in the moment says, well, get up and walk. Because Messiah can do everything. He forgives sin, so he can do this. There's a big debate over a song a few years ago. We'll, we'll sing it here in a few moments. All right. In Christ Alone, the Gettys sing it. They still do. So do we. Lots of people do. And there was this debate over a lyric in the song about the wrath of God, the on the cross where Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied, and there were some people who wanted to change it to the love of God was magnified. And here's the thing: the love of God is magnified because the wrath of God is satisfied. Those things come together. But there's a line that I don't want us to miss. And again, a pastor pointed this out. and I love it. He, said, he points out the idea of what you see in this song. There's going to come a point this morning where we sing this phrase. And I don't want us to creak it. I don't want us to pop. I, I, I want us to think about the straight way immediately this passage calls us to. It, it reads this. And as we stand in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Amen. Think about this man. He has been forgiven of his sin and he is told to stand up. there's coming a point though he, he, his sin can be forgiven and he can stand up because there was a point where Jesus was paralyzed to the point of death Jesus declared that death did not win in his victorious declaration in, in the resurrection the cross and resurrection of Jesus so we're going to sing that song in a few moments and you do, th- you do your thing you know I, I'm pretty encouraging you, you do you as we're singing this song but I do want to encourage you when we get to the phrase in this song where we begin to say so we stand in victory would we realize that this very small microcosmic picture of what the gospel is in this passage is something that is present in you that you can stand because God himself has won a victory in your place that you can move and live and care for people because God has stood in your place He's given us legs. He called us to walk away from our sin and walk toward him. I begin to think about this Jesus, and I read this question earlier this week, and it's just stayed with me. When I begin to think about myself as the friend who may carry someone on a cot to Jesus... Wanting Him to do something, even though I don't even understand what that something is. Think about your own prayer life. Think about what you want Jesus to do. Think about the way that you interact with God daily and how you have conversations with Him in your prayer closet or on your drive to work. Think about how many times you have felt like God has told you no. And let me just ask you this, this thing that won't leave me alone. If Jesus answered every one of your prayers with a yes... If every time you asked him to do something, the answer was yes, how many broken lives would actually be restored? Or would your property get bigger? If he answered every one of your prayers with a yes, how many hungry people would be fed? If Jesus answered every one of your prayers with a yes, how many lost people would be found? Because you tell me that you trust in this Jesus, and this Jesus forgives sins. And if this Jesus can forgive sins, he can do anything. So how many of us are begging him to do what only he can do? Because since he forgives sins, he can do anything. So let's sing and stand in victory, because the curse of sin has lost its hold on us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, would you mobilize our body of believers to be present here? Would we actually stand in victory? Because sin, we're forgiven of it. Father, as we talk to you, will we ask you to do things that are bigger than us? Not to negate our daily struggles, but to realize that there is so much more going on. Will we ask you to feed the hungry? Will we ask you to give hope to the broken? Will we ask you to... Turn people toward you, God. Would would we ask you to forgive sinners? Would we ask you to heal sick people? God, would we get over ourselves? Myself, would I get over me? Because I love me. Would we be present in a lost community? extending a hope that says that we believe that Jesus can do anything because we believe that Jesus forgives sins. We ask this in your name. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room.